So, I think it was last week that Brian talked about how he started to work out, uh, lifting weights, and I think it's all because he has to move this thing every week. This thing is really heavy. Um, thank you for coming. Again, I am the worship director here. I'm not the pastor, as Brian explained to you. I'm glad to be here to uh, um, give the sermon, and he has been leading us through a sermon series called Pathway of Discipleship. Uh, this is week four. The first week we looked at uh, prayer, I believe. Yes, prayer. Second week was worship. Last week was serving. And today is scripture. Now, I know that when you give a sermon or give any kind of speech, it usually is good to start with a story tell something that maybe is personal, is engaging, draws people in, maybe tell a joke, kind of lighten the mood, get people smiling and laughing, maybe even have some sort of cool multimedia to uh, draw people in, something to keep people's attention. And Brian does a great job with those things. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I came up with nothing. This sermon is about scripture, and I have this, this sermon I've written that has a lot of scripture in it, but I kept going through it. I'm going, but yeah, but I don't want it to be dry. I need to find some sort of, some fun story or emotional connection or something, and nothing. And yesterday I was mowing the grass, and I was praying to God, saying, God, I need something. It's like, I, don't, I, I need to draw people in, and it just felt like he said, isn't scripture enough? That's right. So in the words of a previous sermon by Pastor Brian this morning, is scripture alone. So I used to teach an adult Sunday school class many years ago. So this is going to be like that. We're going to have Bible study with Jeff this morning. So if that's all right with everyone. So I'd like to open in prayer. Just ask God to reveal what he wants to teach us in scripture today. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for being our God. Lord, we just come before you and we just ask that you open our eyes and open our hearts, Lord. That you teach us your ways this morning through your word. Lord, your scripture says that your word does not return to you void or empty. But wherever it goes out, it has impact. And it bears fruit. So, Lord, let that be the case this morning as we read your word. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, we're going to be looking at a familiar passage, one that I think a lot of people are familiar with. Um, this whole series so far, I believe we've been in the Gospel of John, and we're going to continue that today, looking at chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bible or if you have a Bible app, I encourage you to open it and read it. Um, and we know some people have Bibles because they just got them today, which is awesome. I think that that's just a really cool thing. And I just, I just want to say to all the young ones, this may not seem like much now, but that is going to be one of the most important gifts that you have ever received in your life. And I pray that you take advantage of that. So let's all turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to read this a few times. In fact, we're going to read a lot of scripture. 
But I'm just going to read through it so you're familiar with what the passage is. Starting in verse 1, this is Jesus. This is read in my Bible, which means these are the words of Jesus. He is speaking this to the disciples. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this has been a study on pathway of discipleship, and we're looking at various elements of true disciples. And right here at the very end of this, this is how you are to show that you are my disciples. So if I were writing this gospel this were the gospel according to Jeff, I would think of it a little bit differently. Jesus is the vine. That's a great picture. He is the vine. God is the gardener. And my first reaction would be if I had to finish that sentence, and we are the fruit. We're the children of God. We're the fruit that comes from Jesus. We're sweet. We're colorful. We're tasty. But that's not what it says, does it? It says we're the branches. Fruit is beautiful. It is tasty. It's something that we, whenever something comes into season, it's ripe. It's awesome. In fact, we've been uh, receiving a lot of cherry tomatoes from my mom, peppers and cucumbers and all these things that are coming into season right now where people have so much they can't give it all away, right? Fruit is beautiful but it is temporary. It's seasonal. It comes and it goes. What happens after the fruit is in season? Well, it goes bad. And if it wasn't picked, it falls to the ground if it's on a tree and it rots away. It's not so lovely then, is it? Fruit is seasonal. It comes and it goes. God doesn't call us to be fruit. He calls us to be branches. We are to bear the fruit, not be the fruit. So what I want to do, and you can go to the next slide again for me if you want to. We're going to go ahead and uh, go through this passage and kind of break it down verse by verse. So in verse 1, it starts out with, I am the true vine. Well, that's an interesting statement. It's not, I am the vine, you are the branches. He first starts with, I am the true vine. And when he makes that statement, it supposes that there are vines that aren't true, right? That there are false vines, there are fake ones. So one of the questions I have for you this morning is, what are you plugged into? 
What am I plugged into? Is it the true vine? The father is the gardener. And then it gets pretty serious right away. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So, if you're not a, not a fruit-bearing branch, you're going to be cut off. There are different types of branches. Those that are live, that are connected, that are fruit-bearing, and those that are dead and disconnected. We could go out into this lovely scenery out here. We could find a branch, a dead branch, and we could plant it in the ground, and we could give it water and fertilizer, and nothing's going to come of it because it is dead. It is disconnected. But then he goes on to say, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So even if you are a fruit-bearing branch, bearing fruit can be painful. It's not an easy process. God prunes away aspects of our lives so that we will be more fruitful. The Greek word for prune here also means he cleans. Now, I know we have some gardeners in the room, correct? What does it mean if you, if you had a plant and you're cleaning that plant? What are you doing to that? Anybody want to? What are you cutting away? Dead leaves, yeah. Would you cut away maybe some diseased leaves? Things that are, that are not healthy, that are sick, right? Isn't that a great imagery? God cleans us, he prunes us by removing the diseased leaves. He removes sin, he removes disease, impurities. He removes death from our lives. Now that's not always enjoyable. Sometimes it's very painful. But the result is, it's for our good. It's so that we will produce even more fruit. Let's look at verse 3. It says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So again, clean, pruned, similar, same Greek word. You, all, you are already pruned, you have been pruned, you have been cleaned because of what? The word I have spoken to you. This, this sermon is about scripture and this is where it ties in. It is God's word. It is scripture that actually prunes us, that cleans us. If you want to live more like Christ, to be a true disciple, it starts with the word of God. Stripping away the bad and helping us to produce the good. And this is not a one-time thing. It's a process. As all gardeners know, you don't just prune once and, okay, I'm good to go. You're constantly working. You're constantly pruning. Let's go on to verse 4 and 5. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a lot of remaining in those verses. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word there is meno, M-E-N-O. And I want to read a commentary about this. I'm not 
super studied in Greek. Um, so I'm going to refer to some experts here. It says the classical Greek writers used the word meno, meant meaning to stay, stand fast, remain, or abide. It has the idea to remain at home or to stay where you are and not wander off. The word translated abide is one of the Apostle John's favorite words. He uses it 34 times in the gospel and 19 times in his letters. The word meno means to dwell at one's home, to abide or to sustain unbroken fellowship with someone. To have a friend who abides is to always be present to help you in time of need. Isn't that neat? If we're to abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in him, he is always present to help us in time of need. Our English Bibles often translate Mino uh, to be abide, remain, to hold to or continue in. It's a powerful word. It means to dwell with or live with Jesus. What imagery. I think it's, it's really powerful. What I'd like to do is I'd like to read this whole passage from the message. Um, the message is a paraphrase. It's not a word for word or even phrase for phrase translation. But I think sometimes he really gets to the heart of the manner. Um, matter when you uh, read his translation. It says, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes, and every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back, so it will, it will bear even more. You are already pruned back by the message I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to, listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I love how he says, but if you make yourself at home with me and my words at home in you. I don't know if you've ever gone to, maybe you've you traveled to a relative's house or a friend's house, and sometimes you can be in someone's home and you just feel at home. And other times, maybe not so much. Maybe it's too cramped. Maybe their house is too much like a museum where you're like afraid to sit on the couch because you're going to mess up the pillow arrangements. But we are to be at home with Jesus, with his words. Let's look at verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. They're only good for fuel. 
But continuing on in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So here I think is one of the center verses in this passage. If you remain, if I, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Again, this is the tie to Scripture. You know, a lot of us like to read it like this. If you remain in me and my words remain on the shelf. But it doesn't say that, right? Brian talked about how a lot of our Bibles gather dust. But it doesn't say when your words remain on the shelf. When the message, again, reminder, my words are at home in you. Now, how does that happen? Well... First, we actually have to pull this book off the shelf, open it, and read it, right? Those words are not going to be at home in us if we never invite them in, if we never read them. Now, these words need to move from this book, not just into our head, but into our heart. It no longer needs to just be words or knowledge but it needs to become a relationship with Jesus. In my profession, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm uh, chastised if I use the word guaranteed. Not supposed to use that term. But I guarantee you, if you take the time and you sit down and read this book long enough, God will speak to you there will become a relationship. We have a very lovely young lady in our uh, congregation. Her name is Jan. And she shared with my wife one time how much she loved this church. And then she was sharing, she was like, you know what? I've been going to church for years. But finally, I'm starting to understand that this is about a relationship with the Lord. And so I talked to her and I asked her about that and she said, you know when it all started was BSF, right Chan? For those who don't know, BSF is Bible Study Fellowship. It is a, believe it's weekly, Bible study where people read the Bible, read scripture in a very organized and systematic way. And I know a lot of us want to think, well, I, I found Jesus through some miraculous spiritual experience, and some of us do. But oftentimes, it's through God's Word coming real in us that this relationship starts. Now, we want that spiritual, what I would call almost a spiritual transfusion, just, just injected into me. And it's there. Boom. Now I've got the scripture. I'm spiritual. Or maybe even some of us would be okay. Maybe that's a little over the top. We want a scripture IV. Just drip a little Jesus in me. Nonstop. And it's going to eventually get all through my system. But that's not how it works. Unfortunately. The only way for it to happen is for us to consume this like food. We need to eat, we need to feed on this daily. 
weekly. And just like food, when we take something in, we don't just swallow it, we have to chew on it. We have to move it around, process it. We have to taste all the flavors that God has for us. Some good and tasty and sweet, some might not be very sweet, but they all nurture our soul. We need to take it in, we need to digest it. Have you ever heard of this verse? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You heard that before? Can anybody tell me where that's from? What was the context of that verse? That's right. Jesus was talking to the devil. He had just been baptized, went out to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Incredibly weak situation where he is just hungry and thirsty at the, you know, totally at the edge. And Satan comes to him and tempts him and says, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Now, again, if this was the gospel according to Jeff, I'd be like, super Jesus. He would show up and he would pow, punch Satan out of the way. Or maybe he's like, you know, I'm really weak. I'm humble. But God, just like an Elijah moment, pull down fire or lightning and strike Satan dead. Doesn't happen. Maybe he calls on an angelic host of angelic soldiers and they come and they do battle against Satan and they drive him away. None of that happens. What does he do? He says that. Did you know that Jesus didn't just make that up on the spot? Every time Jesus responded to Satan, he says, it is written. That's scripture. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Now, a lot of us, kind of like what Brian said, when things are really bad, we'll pull this book out. Well, imagine Jesus. Things are really bad. Satan shows up. He's like, hold on a second. I know there's a verse in here somewhere that I can pull up and I just got to find it. I, I think it goes something like this. No. He knew this book. He studied it. He had the verses memorized. So when that time comes, it just flowed out of him. I've started, I've never been good at memorizing verses. And I've started something one of my sisters suggested I thought was really smart. I've started using scripture verses for my password. So one of the scriptures we're going to do this, we're going to read is Exodus 33, 13. And think about it. It has capitals. It has lowercase. It has numbers. And it has special characters. And if you're at work and you're not sure you can remember your password, why don't you write out the scripture verse and stick it on your monitor? I guarantee you people aren't going to go, oh, that's his password right there. <laughs> but it's going to be right in front of you, right? And every time you enter that password, try to recite that passage. And if you're at a company like mine that makes you change it every three months or whatever it is, Guess what? You're going to at least learn four Bible verses every year. A little tip for you. 
Jesus quotes scripture in his weakest moment. Do you know that every sermon Jesus preached on was based on Old Testament scripture? Where do we turn when we are weak or tempted? Where do we turn or go to for wisdom and guidance? Well, I know where a lot of us turn to, Google, right? There's tons of information, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. You can learn about how to do about anything with YouTube, it's pretty amazing. Google is full of knowledge, but it's not wisdom. It is not the same as scripture. Google is full of knowledge of both good and evil. Does that sound familiar to you? The great temptation to be like God, to have knowledge of good and evil? Isn't it interesting that on the back of this device, is a fruit with a bite taken out of it. This is not wisdom. This turns scripture into another app like Facebook or Angry Birds or anything like that. Now, for those that have Android phones, you're not immune to this just because you don't have this on the back. <laughs> Scripture is different. 2 Timothy, I believe we have that coming up next, 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture, even the begat, is useful now, what does that first part sound like? All scriptures, God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Sounds like pruning, doesn't it? Yeah. What does the second part sound like? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sounds like bearing fruit. This is how we bear fruit, ladies and gentlemen, by getting into God's word. All scriptures God breathed and useful. So I want to look at a couple things in the Old Testament. In Psalm 103, in the next slide, 103.7, this is one of the Psalms of David. He writes something interesting. He says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Now, maybe he could have read, he made his ways and his deeds known to Moses and the people of Israel. But he didn't. He made a distinction, right? His ways were known to Moses. His deeds to the people of Israel. Why is there a distinction? Well, because ways of God and the deeds of God are not the same thing. Brian opened by talking about how God's word is unchanging. It doesn't change. It's eternal. 
those are the ways of God. God's very essence, his very nature, his character are the ways of God. They don't change. But his deeds, or sometimes you'll read in the Old Testament, mighty acts of God, well, they're temporary. They're passing. They can be marvelous and spectacular when they happen. But they happen once. They're like the seasons that he talked about. This book is to guide us the unchanging things for the people and the seasons in our life. You see, throughout the Exodus story, the Hebrew children see one mighty act after another. Let me just list a few. There were 10 different plagues in Egypt. And these weren't small things. These were amazing, miraculous things. Then they're let out and there's the big parting of the Red Sea that led them out into the wilderness as well as destroying a whole Egyptian army, a world superpower at the time. Then they're led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They get to Mount Sinai. The mountain shakes. There's thunder. There's smoke. They hear the voice of God, this incredible, awe-inspiring moment. Then they're given the Ten Commandments, this revelation from God. And if that's not enough, God feeds literally millions of people with this miraculous thing called manna that shows up. They don't have to do anything. It just shows up every morning, except for the Sabbath. But he provides enough the day before to feed them on the Sabbath too. And when they start to get tired of that, he provides quail for millions of people. He also brings water from a rock when they're thirsty and there's no water to be found. Now you would think that after just one or two of these, it might make a believer out of them, right? At least that's what we think. Well, if I saw, you know, parting of the Red Sea, man, you wouldn't have to convince me after that, right? Yet over and over, they grumbled. They didn't believe. They rebelled. They even wanted to go back to Egypt and go back to slavery. They didn't move into that deeper relationship that we talked about. Miracles don't always make believers. An encounter with Jesus does. So guess what happened? They wandered in the wilderness until the generation died off. Until those branches fell off and basically were burned away. They were following the fruit. They were not seeking after the ways of God. It's the same with Jesus' followers in the New Testament. The day after Jesus feeds 5,000 people, this big crowd comes looking for him. He moved somewhere else and they find him. And in John 6, in the next slide, it says, uh, 26 and 27, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The crowd was following Jesus because of his deed, because they received a free meal. 
If you live only for the fruit of God, his deeds, you too will eventually fall away. Why was, God, why was Moses different? Why did God show his ways only to Moses? Was it because Moses chose him and he was the great leader? He was pulled out of the water. God spoke to him in this amazing moment, the burning bush. Well, he was chosen to be the leader. But the children of Israel were chosen too. Remember, they were chosen to be a great nation, to be set apart. And God pulled them out of Egypt. They were chosen as well. It wasn't because he was chosen, not only because he was chosen, but it was because Moses asked for it. Moses asked the Lord to teach him his ways. One of, I think, the more, more powerful prayers in Scripture is one that Moses prayed in Exodus 33, verse 13. I'm going to read it to you. Moses is talking with God and he says, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. <coughs> Moses asked the Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me what is eternal. Teach me your very nature. Teach me to be in relationship with you. And why? Because it says, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Now, tying this back to our original verse, this sounds a bit like Mino, being at home with the Lord, abiding with Him, remaining, dwelling. I hope this prayer becomes our prayer here at Faith Lutheran Church, because I believe this prayer can really change your life. Teach us your ways, Lord, your very character and nature what is eternal and unchanging. Teach us your truths. These are the things that let us know who God is and to be able to abide in Him. But they also give us favor. Moses says, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Let's go back to John and finish that passage again in verse 7 and 8. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to, my, to be my disciple. If your words remain in us, if you abide in me, ask whatever in my name and it will be done. If you remember the message phrased it this way, it will be listened to and acted upon. Powerful. Sounds like favor. Sounds like fruit. This shows we are disciples when we act in this way, when we bear fruit. Because Moses knew God's ways, he was fruitful. He performed deeds and miracles. He moved in the mighty acts of God because he knew God's ways. If you feel like you're just not living a powerful Christian life, you need to understand and study and seek the ways of God. And that's what Moses did. 
earlier in chapter 13, there's a really amazing verse where it says, the Lord's, I don't know if I have it on there, but it's 33:11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Is that not a great description of Mino, of remaining, of abiding, to be at home with the Lord? So I want to ask a question. Does God speak to you face to face? Do you feel like he speaks to you like a friend? Do you want him to? He will. I believe he will if we seek his ways just like Moses did. And just like Moses... God has chosen you. He has called you to be his disciples. Finally, if we were to continue on in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus ends this paragraph this way. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You and I have been chosen to bear fruit. Fruit comes from the vine, the true vine. His ways. This is the vine, people. His ways are found in this book. But we can't just leave it on the shelf. We need to chew on it. We need to digest it. It's up to us to read it. And let it be at home in you. Let it remain in you. So I'm going to close with Moses' prayer. If you bow your heads with me. Lord, if you are pleased with us, teach us your ways so we may know you and continue to find favor with you. And God, remember that this church is your people. Amen.